This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We started to record an intro segment to uh, this week's episode, number 192 of the Show Before the Show podcast. It was terrible. And then uh, Bobby Bradley saved us. The seventh-ranked prospect in the Cleveland organization texted and said, hey, I'm ready to record my interview now. So we got to scrap the bad intro. Here's the good intro. You guys only get the good content. Um, thank Bobby Bradley. You can tweet at him and thank him for saving <laughs> us today. Yeah, so welcome into the good good place. Welcome version. into the good edition of <laughs> the, uh, the show before the show podcast this week. No bad stuff here. No. Just, just One thing stuff. we'll tease about Bobby Bradley's uh interview is that he talks about improving his defense and we can now say with you know experience that he did save us he did he did he um, uh he saved us from making some grave errors so yeah. we thank him for that yeah he's uh you know he's he's a dude who has the ability to pick you up if you're a pitcher you're struggling and you've got bobby bradley behind you now you know he's there he's there yeah. for you Hopefully he's there for you in the way he was there for us. Uh, so, hey, welcome in to this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, episode number 192. We're talking all things minor league baseball. And as you may have guessed, seventh-ranked Cleveland prospect Bobby Bradley joins the show coming up in a little bit. He's already in Arizona getting set for spring training coming up here in a month and a half for position players. And the first-base prospect in that system will join us here in a short time. But before we get to that... We get to three strikes. We open up every episode talking about three burning topics in minor league baseball. And when we kick things off with one that's not just minor league baseball, but major league baseball and college football and the National Football League. And if you're sick and tired of hearing about Kyler Murray, you can fast forward through the next few minutes of this show. <laughs> Kyler Murray, the uh, Heisman Trophy winning University of Oklahoma quarterback slash outfielder, is set to enter the NFL draft after becoming a first round draft selection in the Major League Baseball first year player draft draft last year kyler murray has declared his intention to enter the nfl draft um he is already the fourth ranked prospect in the oakland athletic system has yet to play a professional game um i would think the spring training appearance is now somewhat up in the air we're we're somewhat light on details with how exactly this is going to transpire with kyler murray we know major league baseball has given oakland the go-ahead to throw uh a a lot more guaranteed money at kyler murray than the most recent cba has generally allowed for draft prospects we haven't seen anything really since steven strasburg approaching what kyler murray could get in guaranteed major league contract money um, before even playing a professional game um, these are extraordinary circumstances and it's kind of a weird turf war it's kind of a weird almost culture war that is beginning to brew around Kyler Murray between Major League Baseball and the National Football League and uh, Sam just give me your thoughts on where this is right now and where it's headed because I'm not sure well I, I shouldn't say I'm not sure we haven't ever really seen anything like this there's never been a player taken in the first round in both drafts there have been players taken in the first round in one and the second round in another there's never been a first rounder in both the MLB draft and the NFL draft 
Um, this is a fascinating situation, and Kyler Murray is going to make a ton of money from somebody, uh, but it's there is a very difficult decision or series of decisions coming up. Yeah, um, I think my biggest takeaway is that it's a good time to be Kyler Murray, and which I think we should all celebrate first and foremost. Um, the guy did enough to show the Oakland Athletics that he was worth you know, a top 10 pick in the Major League Baseball draft. He's certainly athletic enough. Uh, anybody who watched you know, the Sooners play this fall knows how quick he is, how, how good he can be with his feet. That translates really well to baseball. Um, you know, he's also done some things with, in baseball that you know, made him a first-round pick. I was surprised when he went as high as he did uh, to the A's um, you know, at ninth overall. But um, you know, the A's obviously saw his set of tools, thought it could really work. They knew what they were getting themselves into. Let, let's say that from the beginning. Um, the A's, when they picked Kyler Murray, knew it was it, that he wanted to go back and play football in the fall. Um, they even agreed saying, like, hey, here's this $4.6 million signing bonus. Uh, you will be allowed to go and play. Um, you know, the, the agreement here is that that's, gonna, that's how it's going to work out. We're not going to play you uh, in a minor league game this summer. Go back to Norman, go work out as a football player, and uh, we'll talk in the winter. Meanwhile, guy developed into a Heisman-winning quarterback. Uh, that was not the scenario when he got picked in June and when he negotiated his signing bonus. Um, but the A's knew that that was a thing that could have happened, whether it was a 15% possibility or a 5% possibility. Uh, I don't think anybody expected him to win the Heisman this year. Uh, but when you do that everybody's going to be talking about you. Everybody's talking about him going into the draft. Uh, he checks in at 5'11". I think the Oklahoma lists him at 5'10". So either way, he's short for a quarterback, uh, but he showed enough skills to maybe be a first-round pick. Now, come you know this week, he had to decide whether he was going to declare himself eligible for the NFL draft. Had a great tweet about it. I, I call it a great tweet because it was just so succinct and so, uh, like, it was without fluff. It was just, I declare for the NFL draft. Um, and everybody made Michael Scott jokes about, I declare bankruptcy, but it wasn't like, it wasn't trying to him to say like, I'm going to become a football player. It's him just saying, this is what I am doing. I am declaring for the NFL draft. Um, what that means right now, we still don't know because it just means he's keeping his options open. Now he's in the NFL draft. Um, now he'll find out from evaluators. He'll talk to teams as part of that whole process. Uh, you know, maybe the way things shake out, he's not a first round pick. Maybe teams tell him he's a third round pick. And where this is really going to come to a head is, you know, the A's have invited him to major league camp. Um, part of that, like you mentioned, Tyler, is trying to sweeten the pot a little bit uh, into getting him to join baseball. They say, listen, we want you with the big guys right away, uh, not in terms of playing time, but just being around that culture, being in a major league clubhouse. We want that. That's our signal to you of our expectations for you and our hopes for you is that we think you should be around the big league guys right away. Um, so he, he would have to report to major league spring training on February 15th. That being said, the NFL Combine is February 26th. So there's no real way he can do both. Um, you know, the, the A's are trying to meet with him. Like you say, there's stories about 
trying to improve his contract a little bit. Normally, Major League Baseball does not allow you to renegotiate with a player before he has played a professional game. They have said, again, according to reports, that they are willing to discard that policy for Kyler Murray if it means he gets to stay in Major League Baseball. So basically what Oakland would do is they would sign him to a Major League contract, add a little bit more money. Um, He's still going to the minor leagues. He's not automatically getting on the 25-man roster that way, but he would get on the 40-man roster. He would have, I think, four option years instead of three because if you sign a deal before you have you know so much major league experience, um, they get to add on an option year. So he still wouldn't have to be in the majors for four more years at the latest. Um, he would basically still be a regular minor leaguer just with a little bit more money. And, you know, I, I think a lot of this comes down to this is the situation that Kyler Murray has created for himself. He has been a good enough baseball player to make this happen. He has been a good, good enough football player to make this happen. He's, he has options out there. Um, and this is, you know, him declaring for the NFL draft is him exploring those options, which, you know, good for him. There, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think a lot of people have popped up on Twitter um, saying like, oh, well, he signed a contract. He should you know, honor that contract. What is he doing? Again, the A's knew what they were getting themselves into. This is not a surprise necessarily. Shouldn't be a surprise, at least to them, that this really athletic guy they were drafting and because they liked his athleticism turned out to be very athletic in this other sport, so much so that another sport is looking to draft him as well. Um, so there's a potential for the A's to get some of that money back. Um, if he were to decide to enter the NFL drafts, leave baseball behind, uh, they would not get a supplemental draft pick. Um, normally, when you don't sign your draft pick, you get you know the same pick. Well, a pick one spot afterwards. We're going to see that this this year with the uh, Atlanta Braves, who did not sign Carter Stewart. There was a bit of a grievance that got settled. Um, so the, the Braves will have an additional first-round pick next year because they did not sign their 2018 pick. Oakland would not have that same opportunity. They get a little bit screwed out of that. I get it. They knew the risk when they were making the pick. Um, I, this is this saga is not over by any means just because he declared for the NFL draft. Does not null and void his baseball contract yet. Uh, it's still, for all we know, he could still show up uh, for position players reporting, you know, in Arizona, uh, the middle of next month on February 15th. But it, it's just another landmark in, in this whole situation. Uh, he had to make a decision on the draft. He decided to enter. Uh, and now we find out, do teams really think he's a first rounder? Cause if he, if they do, he's probably going to play football. I mean, that means, listen, we think you were the premier player on our team going forward for years to come. Um, you know, what does that, we can talk about the health of football versus the health of baseball. And I mean that in a, in a purely medicinal way, almost of what, what is better for the body long-term, what we would hope he would do. Um, but when there is that much money on the table and that much publicity on the table and that much stardom on the table, it can be really hard to turn down when the other option is, you know, going to Stockton, going to Midland. Not that there's anything wrong with those places, but not being in the limelight right away. Um, so, yeah, I I don't think that there's anything wrong with this situation for Kyler Murray. I think it's all good things for him. Um, but we'll be following closely, you know, 
I've kind of fallen out of favor with the NFL uh, for multiple reasons in the, in the last couple of years. I don't follow the draft like I used to. I will be following this draft very closely to see where people think Murray could go and what ripple effects that has uh, for his chances with the A's. The, the larger contextual issues around this are what fascinate me the most. Um, I think Major League Baseball is... I think towing uh, a thin line if you remove the uh, the limitations on the contract negotiations, the money that can be handed out, et cetera, I feel like agencies are going to look at that and think, well, how can I fight for my guy to get more money? Um, and the fact that this is a, a, a special case, um, you know, I mean, that's not going to – it's not going to hold a whole lot of water with a lot of other people that are going to come calling for similar concessions to be made uh, to their guys. Not that, you know, everybody has the same pedigree uh, or the same um, demand, the ability to negotiate the things that Kyler Murray has. But um, I think that's really interesting. I also think that there is uh, there's a lot of kind of machismo going around here in that Major League Baseball and the NFL each want to beat each other for this guy. Um, and for Major League Baseball, I mean, there's been a, a, a story, it seems like, every year for a long time about a Major League Baseball um, with African-American athletes. Uh, participation has declined. The numbers have declined uh, in Major League Baseball. And to get a talent like Kyler Murray, somebody who could be – one of your next big stars in the game, um, a guy who is is young, uh, is really marketable, and uh, and is an athlete that you could put as a face of your sport. I think that's something that Major League Baseball would love to have. Um, not to mention, he comes in already so polished in terms of um, you know his media presence, the interviews that he gives. He's an engaging guy. Uh, there's a lot to love about Kyler Murray, just as a package, as an athlete that you can get behind, as a fan or as a an administrator, a marketer, somebody with Major League Baseball, there's a lot that you like. If you're the NFL, you just feel like you swing the biggest stick no matter what, and you should be able to get all the guys that you want. Um, So it kind of fascinates me that this is turning into such a battle between these two sides. I wonder if Kyler Murray didn't play baseball, are people looking at Kyler Murray as a first-round pick in football, or has this conversation elevated it to the point where NFL front offices just want to win that battle so much. Um, He's a small guy. Kyler Murray would be pretty much the smallest quarterback in the NFL. And how many times have we heard that knock against guys who have gone to the NFL draft? They're never going to survive. Johnny Manziel is probably the one who who comes to mind uh, most recently. And Johnny Manziel, guess what, didn't survive in the NFL, not necessarily because he got blasted because he was a small quarterback, but that certainly didn't help. Um, So the, the larger battle around this picture is what's really fascinating to me about Kyler Murray. Um, but yeah, I think just approaching it from the, the standpoint of a sports fan, I, I want Kyler Murray to do whatever is going to provide Kyler Murray with the most money and the best future for his family. And if that's picking football, if that's picking baseball, whatever it is, if you're an athlete, you only get a chance to make this money once. And yep. whatever you choose and whatever route you go, if it's going to set up your kids and your grandkids and your parents and you're going to you know, do some things like guys we've had on the podcast in recent weeks who have paid off their parents' debts and have done really <laughs> cool things for their friends and family, um, whatever you're going to get – 
if you're Kyler Murray, if it's big first-round money from the NFL or from Major League Baseball, take the thing that's going to give you the best life. And uh, and I think as human beings, we should all cheer for that. Now, maybe if I'm an A's fan, I don't feel that way. But uh, I think Kyler Murray's got a, a pretty cool problem coming up ahead of him, uh, and it's a problem that 99.9% of people would be thrilled to have. And I'm excited to see which way he goes. Uh, and selfishly, I would love to see what he can do on a baseball field, but he's a hell of an exciting player on the football field as well. And to see if that skill set would translate to the NFL or how it would translate to the NFL as the, the pro game becomes more and more like the college game at the NFL level, um, I think it'd be, it'd be kind of neat to see that too. So if you're a sports fan, guys like this don't come along very often. We haven't really seen this in a long time. Um, you know, even some of the guys who have quote unquote done it in recent years, you know, Jameis Winston was a uh, major league uh, draft selection. Russell Wilson played in the minor leagues for a couple of seasons in the Rockies organization um, before going to the NFL. Those guys didn't have the ceiling that Kyler Murray does um, being a first round draft selection in the major league baseball first year player draft. So, I don't know. It's going to be cool to see uh, whichever way he goes, what he's able to make of this. And my hope is that if he chooses one route and it doesn't go well, I hope he picks up the other route and succeeds in that one. Uh, yeah. That would be kind of cool. If you decide to go right. to the NFL and you get a couple years in and banged up and you're taking a backseat to somebody, come play pro ball, man. Hayes will take you back, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, t- well, that's the thing that we should also note is that even if he does choose football, the, the A's right. still have his They will still have baseball his rights. Right. 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 So even Russell Wilson is technically a Yankee now, which yeah, he's been, been one of my favorite. He's been traded sport. or rule five a handful of times. Now. Yeah. The the Rangers got him at one point yeah. and then the Yankees got him and the, all this funny stuff. And he basically suits up for a day. He's going back to spring training this year. Oh, yeah. No, he suits up for a day, takes some hacks, yeah. makes a couple good photo ops, gives a speech in the locker room, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't think Kyler Murray needs to do that, but um, – yeah, like you said, this is a situation he's created for himself. Um, it's really, really difficult. And even looking back at other guys like, uh, you know, Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, not that I would necessarily make that comp right away because we don't know what he's like going to be like at a, at a professional in either sport, really. Um, it's all projection at this point. But those guys weren't quarterbacks, um, which is the number one guy on the field uh, for every football team. Kyler Murray is good enough to do that and also be a center fielder who, as we know, is one of the most uh, important jobs on the baseball diamond. Um, Really difficult to do either one. And the fact that he can do both is just a testament to him. So I would not be surprised if he gives one a chance and it doesn't work and he goes off and tries to do the other so long as he's still healthy and, and isn't quitting one sport because of the injuries. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned at the beginning, if you're sick of this now, it's not going away. Uh, it's not going to go away. Once the NFL draft happens, uh, it probably won't go away for a couple of years until we solidly know uh, which path is the best for him. And uh, Oklahoma gets Jalen hurts. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that must for be our rough yeah we'll save that for our uh the show before the college football playoff podcast we don't have one of those um uh, strike two this week <laughs> we'll move along uh american league central project- projections last week we talked nl east al east uh al central projections are here we will have an al central prospect coming up on the show here in just a little bit uh give us a rundown Yeah, so this one uh, was pretty easy in terms of who am I going to focus on from the AL Central when you're talking about rookies for the 2019 season. Um, As somebody added me a couple 
weeks ago when we did the AL East. Um, you know, I, I said Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the runaway AL Rookie of the Year candidate right now. You know, everybody expects him to win based on not only this projection series, but also just what we know about him as a prospect. And somebody chimed in and said, well, how can you say that when Eloy is right there? A, I was writing about the AL East, but B, you know, there is a, a sizable gulf there, but still between Vlad Jr. and Eloy is like Eloy in the rest of the field when it comes to American League uh, rookies for 2019. He might be solidly second place, but he, it is not really close behind him either. Uh, what I really like about Eloy and what this projection series talks about is he is elite when it comes to both hitting for average and hitting for power. Uh, when I looked at Steamer 600, which, as we say every week when we're talking about this, Steamer 600 takes 600 plate appearances for all position players, excluding catchers. Um, so everybody's getting a full season of at-bats and plate appearances in the major leagues. Everybody's on the same plane. How would they do over those 600 plate appearances? Uh, Eloy Jimenez ranks in the top five amongst rookies for 2019 uh, in terms of both average and home runs. Steamer thinks Eloy would be a 295 hitter right away in the major leagues right now, uh, which is certainly saying something. That would be third, uh, according to rookie projections, behind Vlad Jr., who would hit 306. Uh, and Jonathan Daza, a Rockies prospect. So there's a little bit of Coors Field baked into that. Uh, Coors. Yeah, I was waiting for that sound effect to come in. That's just a board you have, right? That's not even you saying anymore. It's this, just is a like, uh, this is like a morning sports talk radio show. I just have yeah, a board exactly. of drops. Right. Um, so he's behind only those two in terms of rookies for, for 2019. He's ahead of Garrett Hampson, who also plays uh, or would play at Coors Field next year. And Williams' studio, who is one of our favorite prospects. Guy hits everything he sees, literally does not walk or ever strike out. Um, but they expect Eloy to hit 295 right away. That's incredible. Um, not only just for rookies, but pretty much anywhere. Projections are normally by definition, conservative, um, especially for guys who have yet to play in the major leagues. Uh, so the fact that the projections think Eloy Jimenez could hit 295 right away is saying something. It also thinks he would hit 28 home runs over 600 plate appearances, uh, which is also third amongst potential rookies uh, behind Evendell Isabel and Peter Alonso, uh, who hit 30 and 29, respectively. You might remember those guys. They actually tied for the Bauman Home Run Award lead. Last year, Alonzo won it on the RBI tiebreaker. Um, you know, uh, Steamer is very high on those guys' power for obvious reasons. Um, but it's also very high on Eloy's power, uh, which is saying something. Kind of expanding that out, uh, the fact that he can combine both right away is unsurprising that his WR... RC plus is so high. Again, that, that's an average of 100. So major league average WRC plus is 100 takes into effect, you know, park effects, um, things of that nature, you know, outside influences kind of boils everything down to one number. Uh, so if average is 100, they expect Jimenez to be a 132 WRC plus hitter right away. That's, you know, 32% better than an average major leaguer. Pretty incredible stuff. He would be worth 3.6 war over a full season. Um, I, I think that's a little high in terms of what he would actually be. Uh, he's, an, he's an adequate defender. He's not a great defender. I don't think he's going to get that much you know, extra war out of his defense. Um, so maybe that brings that down a little bit. Um, but you know, for somebody whose bat is 
you know, we think can be truly special on the south side of Chicago. Uh, you know, after last year when he hit 337 between double A and triple A uh, with 22 home runs in 108 games, Steamer thinks that's going to continue. As things look right now for the White Sox roster, his 3.6 war is actually the highest projection amongst White Sox position players, uh, which kind of tells you something about the way Chicago is made right now. Obviously, they're in the middle of a rebuild. They've kind of been building for this moment. But at the same time, we can marry that with the rumors that they are involved in the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado markets. Um, one leaked offer came out today that they've offered Manny Machado seven years. The, the money was pretty low on that. I would expect if they are going to sign Machado, it's going to have to go much higher than the reported amount. I think it was $175 million. Um, but the fact that Chicago front office thinks now is the time to start looking at major league assets and bringing in generational talents uh, is a sign that they know Jimenez is ready, that somebody else they can build around. He's going to be cheap for a couple of years once he makes the major leagues, going to be making that minor or the major league minimum for a few more years. Uh, they can start adding talent to this mix to, you know, Michael Kopech, who will be out this year with Tommy John surgery, but will be major league ready in 2020. Dylan Cease will be major league ready by the second half of this year, I think. Uh, Dane Dunning the same way. Uh, Zach Collins is coming up as a potential catcher. Nick Madrigal can move very quickly as their first-round pick from last year. Uh, he's got a potentially special bat if he has little power. Um, so, you know, I, the tide is kind of turning uh, in Chicago, at least in, from the White Sox point of view. And Jimenez is a big driver of that. And the fact that Steamer backs up what we think could be a special average bat and a special power bat um, to see that play out in the projections was really, really neat. Um, but, you know, the, the whole piece is on AL Central, so we've got stuff on Indians prospects, Royals prospects, uh, Tigers prospects, and Twins prospects uh, in that piece. So if you're fans of those teams, I implore you to check it out. Um, you can scroll past the Eloy stuff at the top, but it, it stands out so much. He made for such an easy lead on a piece like this. So we've got NL Central coming out next week uh, and then the West Divisions to follow after that. And strike three this week, we have discussed on the podcast over the last couple of years um, some gaining momentum behind guys who are trying to go the two-way route, the Brendan McKays of the world, shall we say, who are trying to have their cake and eat it too. No, that's not what that means. Uh, but they're trying to be position players and pitchers at the same time. Um, Red Sox prospect Trey Ball is the latest who is going to try to go that route. Uh, our buddy Gerard Gilberto had a story about that on the site as of Monday. We're recording this on Wednesday. And um, give us the lowdown on uh, on Trey Ball's move. Yeah, this this story was really interesting, and I'm really glad Gerard wrote it, um, just because this is kind of plugged into a theme, like you said, Shohei Otani, Brendan McKay, uh, what we're seeing right now in terms of maybe guys will be used as two-way players. I think Matt Davidson is being looked at as, as a potential two-way player. I think he's recently signed uh, with that in mind as well at the major league level, so maybe this is going to kind of turn into things. Uh, he signed with the Rays, and of course we know the Rays, um, or he's rumored to maybe sign with the Rays, uh, and the Rays are a little bit more forward-thinking or at least willing to think outside the box. Um, so Trey Ball could be kind of fitting into that mode mold as well. Uh, he was the seventh overall pick in the 2013 draft by the Red Sox at a time when the Red Sox then weren't what we know them as now, which is world champions. Um, you know, they had a really low pick that year. We're really coming off a down year. This was a chance to inject some talent into the system. And 
the pick doesn't look great now because ball hasn't quite worked out. But at the time, he was the eighth-ranked prospect going into that draft. So to take him at number seven, not a huge surprise. Um, you look at you know who else was maybe available around that that uh, point in the draft, and it's not like the Red Sox missed out on some big talent. Um, you know, looking at some of the bigger picks from that year, maybe Chris Bryant is the one you get really excited about, but he was already taken. So, uh, you know, they, they take Trey Ball at the time. He was a potential two-way player. Not necessarily anybody was thinking that he would play two ways, but any team that was going to take him was going to have a decision to make, whether he would be a pitcher or, or whether he'd be a hitter. Uh, the Red Sox moved him to the mound, I think in part because of his projection. He's six foot six, 180 pounds. Um, but he had the chance to show a plus fastball, a plus curve, a decent changeup at the time. It really has not worked out for him in that way. Um, so Gerard wrote this story and asked him, you know, what was it like struggling as a pitcher? Um, and, and when did the Red Sox kind of come to you and say, let's look at some other things? And he talks about how about halfway through last year, uh, the Red Sox came to him and said, let's just see what it looks like. So he started taking a lot more at bats, a lot more work in the cage to try to, you know, get some time there, get reacquainted with it. I think one of the quotes that stood out to me was him talking about just getting his eye back. Uh, he uh, he faced one breaking pitch from Franklin Kilome and realizing that's not anything I thought I would see this quick. Uh, and trying to understand breaking pitches, especially at double A level, which he was trying to do that at, uh, is fascinating. Um, but, you know, as a pitcher last year, he put up a 7.58 ERA uh, with 56 strikeouts and 26 walks and 65 in the third innings. That was his first year as a reliever. And if he wasn't even cracking it as a double A reliever. There was going to be some need to change things up dramatically one way or another. Um, so kudos to the Red Sox for at least opening this up. Um, you know, they don't want to let him go that easily. That They invested a lot of money in him. They have invested a lot of time in him at this point. This, he's been in the system for six years. Uh, you know, when he was a position player, he showed the potential to have a, a, a plus hit tool, a plus power tool. Um, it's going to be a long road before he can show that. He, he said, you know, it's been a long time since he's taken regular at-bats. But, uh, you know, maybe he pitches once a week out of the bullpen and then gets – a couple starts here and there, DH slash outfield to, to see how things work. Uh, you know, he's probably not going to be the last story we see of this. Um, but the fact that more organizations are turning to this as an option and not just saying, all right, you're a failed pitcher. You're going to be a hitter now uh, full time and deciding to keep both doors open simultaneously is fascinating. So we'll be keeping a close eye on Trey Ball in 2019 where the Red Sox sent him initially. Um, how long they're willing to continue this experiment, how long they're willing to use him uh, in both roles will be really, really interesting. So go on the site, read Gerard's piece to get a little bit more of Trey Ball's thoughts on the matter and uh, what he needs to do to take that next step. And, uh, yeah, when I potentially head to Red Sox camp for spring training, I'll, I'll try to catch up with them and see where he is in that progression as well. 
That is three strikes on this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. We have one foul ball to get to, and it is a, uh, a thing that has been building over the last several weeks. Um, every week, if you check out the, the site, MILB.com, on Sunday night or Monday morning, you'll see a, uh, a winter league roundup that we've done of top 100 prospects in action, uh, mostly in Latin American leagues. There's, of course, a, a winter league going on in Australia right now, but there are no top 100 prospects in that league. Um, so in the Venezuelan winter league, Dominican winter league, Puerto Rican winter Winter League, the Mexican Pacific Winter League. Um, playoffs have started, I believe, in all four of those now. And um, there is a team chasing a title in the Dominican Republic in Estrellas Orientales who have not won a Dominican Winter League championship since 1968. They have finished runners-up in that league 12 times since then. They haven't won a title. They've kind of become the pre-2016 Chicago Cubs of that league, the, the lovable losers. They never win a championship. Well, they are right now being spearheaded by baseball's number two overall prospect, Fernando Tatis Jr., who has been a force in the Dominican Winter League playoffs. Uh, 17 games in the Dominican Winter League postseason so far. They have a weird format where they play uh, among the four teams that qualify. They play round-robin series between all four, and then the best records of those move on to play in the championship series. So it's not direct matchups with elimination series, um, but uh, Estrellas are on to the championship series. Fernando Tatis Jr. through 17 games is batted 254 but a 365 on base percentage a 476 slugging percentage that's an 841 ops three of his team's seven home runs in the postseason he's got 10 rbis for his team in the postseason nobody else on his team has more than eight he has scored 13 runs nobody on his team has scored more than nine he has 16 hits nobody else has more than 14 he has been a force um and it's pretty cool you can follow the dominican winter league playoffs uh of course at mlb.com we've got a a winter leagues page uh on the mlb.com side um, in which you can follow game day and, and box scores and all that kind of stuff i believe you can find um, streaming options for the Dominican Winter League playoffs as well, um, but they are uh, they're moving on to the championship series. It will start on the 18th of January, and uh, uh, Estrellas Orientales will be taking on Toros del Este, the uh, the Eastern Bulls. Uh, they call the uh, the Eastern Stars is what they call uh, Fernando Tatis Jr.'s team, and they were um, actually. Uh, in large part a subject of a book by the same name the eastern stars by mark kurlansky which was all about how uh, san pedro de macquarie the town of the dominican republic known as the cradle of shortstops what it is about that town that produces so much major league talent um and they talk a lot about this franchise and i've had a weird thing ever since i read that book which was probably five years ago of every year following the dominican league playoffs to see how estrellas does to see if they're ever going to break this title drought and they are uh they're over 50 years now and on the verge of maybe doing it this year yeah and there's two things i just want to add to that story real fast uh his manager is his father which is fascinating fernando tatis senior or as we all knew him fernando tatis uh which is really really cool uh actually two other things i want to add beyond that the padres are allowing him to keep going um which is interesting because at the winter meetings, Andy Green, you know, people asked, how long are you going to w- let you know your best prospect and one of the best prospects in the game keep playing and potentially opening himself to injury? And they said they didn't really see it that way. That you know they'll make a call if they have to, but um, it, 
they seemed okay with the way things are going. And it's really nice to see, especially with that playoff drought and, or that title drought, excuse me, um, see, letting him do that for, you know, his hometown team, uh, is really, really cool. And hopefully he carries that to the spring. I know he got off to a slow start last year. So maybe if he's doing so hot at the end of the Dominican league season, he can carry that into Arizona and potentially into triple uh, a next year. But uh, one other thing I want to add, if you have not seen his bat flip, his home run first, yeah, and then the bat flip, it was from January 11th. I it was a walk-off it. homer. Um, he knocked, I think it was against uh, Toros also, uh, but it was a uh, bottom of the ninth to win a game. It was a three, three tie. There were a couple of runners on base and it was he against yeah, hits a walk-off homer and Thanks. then flips the bat to the moon. Yeah. Incredible. It was against Lise. Is that the team? Oh yeah. 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 Tigres. Yeah. Yes, Tigres. Um, yeah, two runners on, 0-2 count, which is fascinating. Uh, a lot of people said, I want to see the exit below on this because it was a bullet. It got out of the stadium real quick. Uh, and then he stood and watched it and just threw the bat in the air. Amazing. The entire crowd's going nuts. The entire team's going nuts. Uh, one thing that's happened this offseason is a lot of people saying, I miss baseball, I miss baseball. Trust me, I miss baseball as well. Can't wait for spring training to come back and for us to all be talking about on the field stuff. Here's an example of baseball still existing in the winter and the pure joy that an entire stadium, an entire group of people, the entire Internet for that one night uh, could get out of it. Uh, This stuff is still going on. It's really, really cool to watch these games all around the Caribbean uh, and to see it tied with a guy that we're going to be able to talk uh, talk a lot about in 2019 only makes it more exciting from my point of view. Um, but if you get a chance, watch this uh, video uh, when you have a couple of minutes. Right now, the views is 299,000 um, just on Twitter like alone. It's probably going to get up more on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, Fernando Tetsi's fantastic talent, fantastic personality. Uh, really cool to see him doing so well and confirming what we already thought he was as a player. Uh, the uh, Caribbean series, by the way, for the champions of all these leagues and last year's champion from the uh, Cuban National Series, um, that will start on February uh, 2nd. It'll go through the 8th. It is scheduled to be held in Barquisimito, Venezuela, which obviously we've seen uh, a lot of things move out of Venezuela in recent uh, months and years, and uh, the Venezuelan Summer League shut down, all that kind of stuff, but it appears to be on track, uh, I believe, to be held there uh, coming up in a few weeks, and uh, Caribbean Series is a ton of fun, a ton of fun. Panama is going to be back in the Caribbean Series this year as a guest in 2019 as well, so um, it's uh, it's always one of the coolest uh, events on the baseball calendar, and um, it's not super easy to find places to watch it uh, sometimes, but hopefully this year there will be uh, easy streaming options for it. Mm. Yeah, cool. you know that uh, Twitter will be you know all up with the highlights if, if something like that bat flip happens again. The tweets, always good. Uh, that'll do it for three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, the Cleveland Indians already have one of their stars of the minor league system in Goodyear getting set for the 2019 season, and that is Bobby Bradley, seventh-ranked prospect in the organization, who joins the show next. (laughs) 
headed to uh, the Cactus League. It's not yet Cactus League time, but a guy who's already camped out in his Cactus League surroundings is a seventh-ranked prospect in the Cleveland Indians organization. Bobby Bradley, the first baseman who was added to the 40-man roster back in November and joins us from Goodyear, getting set to go for spring training coming up here in uh, Pitchers and Catchers Report in less than a month and uh, already out there getting some work in. Bobby, how's, uh, how's January in Arizona going? Uh, it's going great. I mean, actually, some nice weather out here <laughs> versus back home. <laughs> well, tell us but, about yeah. this off season. You uh, you get added to the forty man back in November. Um, coming off a season, you finish strong. Uh, get uh, a little bit of experience up thirty plus games uh, with Columbus. You finish and uh, have that AAA now experience under your belt. And going into this year, um, knowing that the organization loves you so much that you're already on the forty man. What is what is twenty nineteen stacking up like for you coming into this year? Um, I mean, just this offseason has been great. I mean, just with the news of getting added to the 40-man roster was just amazing news right there. It just made me want to work even harder. And, uh, I mean, uh, as for uh, where we are with the team, I mean, uh, spring training will tell. I mean, with the moves they've been making, uh, I mean, I just it's, I feel like it's kind of like they're kind of setting it up for me. But you can never be 100% sure. And, uh I mean, I just got to go in the spring and just uh, perform like I know I can. Yeah, it's interesting that you say you've been following what the major league team is doing. Obviously, they they trade Encarnacion. They pick up Carlos Santana. They also pick up Jake Bauer. So that first base situation, a little bit more open than it was, uh, you know, come the end of the season. Um, How much were you following that and – have you had any discussion with the team about, you know, what this means for your role here coming up, uh, you know, starting next month when you'll be with the with the team in Major League Camp? I haven't really discussed it too much with them. Um, I mean, I just, like, see, like, notifications pop up on, like, the MIL or the MLB app. And uh, that's how I keep up with those moves and things like that. And uh, just as we were going, like, after I got added to the 40-man and they traded them away, I was like, okay, well, we might be in a pretty good position here and uh we are we're in a great position and uh, we just have to see how spring training plays out so yeah so let's go back to that moment when you did find out you were getting added to the 40 man um first off you know coming into this season you knew or i i would assume you knew that that was a potential thing that could happen in november given you know the your roster situation you were going to be eligible for the rule five draft this off season um, how much was that on your mind as the season was going on that this was a potential thing uh, that could come in November? Uh, it, in the beginning, it was on my mind heavy, like, man, I have to perform, you know, to get added. And uh, I put way too much pressure on myself in the beginning and uh, just had to, like, reset my mind and my focus and just, all right, let's just take this one day at a time. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I had to look at it that way. So when you do get the call, what what did the Indians say to you in that moment? Who did you find out from? Um, and did they just say, hey, this is a, a thing now? Or did they give you special instructions now that you are a part of the 40-man roster? Uh, so the call went like uh, our farm director, uh, James Harris, called me. And uh, he was just pretty much saying, like, I'm pretty sure you're aware of this is the time that we have to had our guys to the 40-man roster that we want to protect, and uh, you're going to be one of them. And, I mean, that was basically the call right there, and he's just congratulating me. And, I mean, I was just beyond thankful that I even get that opportunity. 
Bobby, last year um, you start the season with Akron um, and you get the call to Columbus and you go up there in August and um, like you said, the start of the season, you know, you're thinking about so much stuff and uh, you, you're in a circumstance where it's one of those kind of jumping off seasons in your career and uh, through 97 games with Akron, you're in the, the middle of that double-A swing. Did the triple-A promotion come as a surprise to you at all? I mean, you're, you're 22 years old. Uh, I know you had some time in Akron, obviously, in 2017 and being back there in 2018. When you get that call at that stage of the year, you're kind of after the All-Star break, but you're before maybe that last surge of promotions. Uh, were you caught off guard at all by the timing of that promotion, the fact that you did get a little bit over a month in AAA, which is pretty nice coming into this year? Uh, yeah, I mean, I kept my focus on one day at a time, and I took all promotions out of the window. I was just like, I'm just going to focus on today, and this is what I need to focus on. And uh, so after, I forgot what game it was, I think it was on like the last game in July. I got called into the office after the game and he said, I was going to Columbus and I was like, Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> all right now. I, Cause I, I wasn't thinking about it. And I was like, all right now I got to shift my focus there. I mean, it was great. We were at home and so Columbus. So it was only a two hour drive down to get settled in. So it wasn't too bad. That's pretty easy. Um, you finish off the year, you hit three homers in, in 32 games there. You put up a 753 OPS in your first taste of AAA. Pretty good stuff in, in your final month. And you finished the season in total with 27 homers. And uh, one of the things we've talked with with player development people and with power prospects and guys who say power is almost always the last thing to come. And for you, that's, that hasn't really been an issue in your career. You had 27 homers in your, your first full season in 2015, 29 in 2016, 23 in 2017, 27 last year. What is it about your approach, your style, um, what you're able to do as a hitter that's enabled you to hit with power pretty much since you got started in pro ball? Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I just look at it as like, that's just like a God-given talent. Um, I mean, along with fixing some things with approach and stuff, not trying to hit home runs every time, but just more so line drives in the gap. And when you do miss it a little bit, that's when those home runs come. I mean, I, that's, it's kind of hard to explain, um, but yeah, just that approach is approach basis, I guess is how I would say it. And as somebody who is kind of a power first pro- prospect, you know, that's what stands out obviously on your scouting report, your stat, your stat sheet, no matter what, it, it's always going to be power for you. Uh, with the game, the way the game is, is trending right now, uh, is fascinating at the major league level because we, whether it's the balls, whether it's things that are being taught up there. Um, there seems to be a real power jump when it comes to the major leagues, you know, from AAA to the majors. Uh, how keenly are you following that? And, you know, how does that affect what you think you could do as a, as a power hitter uh, when you do reach the major leagues? Uh, I haven't really been following it at all. I mean, I've heard some talk of, like, it's the baseball, how it's spun tighter, some things like that. Um, but I haven't really been following it too much. Not at all. And then, I mean, I would love that power jump when I get up there, though, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think everybody would love to see them themselves add 10, 15 home runs once they make the major leagues when it really counts. Um, right. but, but speaking of your approach, 
Um, one thing that kind of stands out as well in terms of how you fit the modern game um, is, especially earlier in your career, you were, you were striking out a ton. It seemed like that regressed a little bit in 2017 and then moved a little back up in 2018. Um, you know, is there any big emphasis for you on making more contact to make that next jump? Or is it so tied with your power in terms of selling out and making the most out of that skill uh, that you're not too worried about the strikeouts? Uh, no, I'm definitely looking to cut those down. Um, so when they went down, I was working on my approach in 2017. And uh, but when I got to 2018, like the, just that, oh, I got to make 40, man. Like I got to perform here. Kind of that putting that pressure on me, on myself was got me a little bit away from my approach. It's like, all right, I have to keep my homers up. I have to keep, keep my RBIs up, things like that. And just trying to do way too much for whatever the situation was kind of brought those back up. But I mean, now this year it's like wherever I start, I know I'm in a good spot and uh, I'm just going to go back to that approach and just line drives up the middle. Yeah. And mechanically, when you are looking to make more contact, um, what are you doing differently? Is it just a thought process thing or what are you working on to make sure that you are making solid contact up the middle, as you say? Uh, it's just strictly like all in the mind, um, just completely mental. Uh, if I just go out there and take a deep breath and tell myself, no matter where this is, I'm going to hit it up the middle. That allowed, That mechanically allows me to stay behind the ball and stay through the ball. Bobby, tell us about the the defensive side of your game. I know um, the time you got in the Arizona Fall League, uh, that was one thing that, that people talked about there was it seemed like you made big strides defensively when you were down in the AFL, um, and that's never really been a, a big concern uh, as a very capable defender, but that's something that it seems like everybody always has something that they're working on defensively, which I don't think is, is quite as sexy of a topic for people to, to always ask players about, but where you are now as a mm-hmm. defender at first base compared to where you were um, you know, in your first or second pro season what do you think you've developed most how do you categorize yourself now as a defender uh, now I would say I'm a pretty average defender I mean when I first got drafted playing first base I was only in my like second year ever playing first base I caught my whole life all the way up until then and so I didn't really know what I was doing at the time but over the years working with our fielding coordinators uh, Johnny Mack and Travis Fryman getting different drills to work on, things like that. I just slowly saw improvements. And then in uh, 17, I just – the off-season of 17, I just sold out all off-season, didn't really do too much hitting or anything, but it was strictly defense. I need to get my hands better. I need to get my feet working. Like I need to be able to move around this bag if I want to go up. For, you know, if there are kids, young first basemen who are listening to this, um, what is the thing that you have done that you feel like has helped you most? Is it just a, a case of reps? I mean, are you out taking a million ground balls and working on your footwork just in the same sort of constant process? Or are there things that you do that maybe people don't think about actively as, oh, yeah, that could help me out too defensively? Yeah, I do a, a wall ball routine almost every day. Um like this before I do anything to get my hands working to make sure my hands are working how I want them I get a couple of baseballs and I just go through a wall ball routine and then it's not that I take a lot of reps I probably take ground balls for 15 minutes but I take every single one of them with intent I mean that's just how you have to do it like you can go take a million and not have an intent and get worse but you can take 20 25 with intent and be just as good 
All right, Bobby, we've talked so much about you, you know, being close to the major league roster now, whether it be AAA or your roster status. Uh, one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on this week was earlier this month, you got to participate in the rookie career development program. Uh, the Indians got to send you there. Tons of other top prospects get to go to that every year. This year was in Miami. Um, what was that program like? And what was your biggest takeaway um, from your time, you know, getting prepped for the major leagues and rubbing elbows with so many guys, either you've seen across the diamond or read about, heard about from before. Hey, I mean, that that is an awesome program. I mean, there's a lot more that goes on in this that you would not realize this as in just playing every day and not really keeping up with it, but like learning about what everything the players association does for the players and, like all the benefits you get, I mean, just, and this the great group of guys that you can just call anytime. If you had any questions, it's just like to know you have those resources for anything is just amazing. So what, what was the most surprising thing for you going in there? Uh, you know, what's something you took away from it, whether it's that players association, um, you know, phone list, like you say, or something else, you know, what was your biggest takeaway that's now going to change how you approach uh, potentially making the majors? I mean, just that you're not alone. Like, if you're ever going through something, there's always somebody you can call. I mean, like, even if it's it, like one of the other players that were there that we made a connection with, but just like somebody's been through your situation. And I mean, they're only a phone call away to kind of help you get through it. And you're not really going through it alone. And speaking of not being there alone, you know, as I said, there, there are so many other top prospects there. Um, who is somebody either you got to meet for the first time or somebody you were really looking forward to hanging with, uh, you know, not from the Indians necessarily, uh, that you got to see from your time there at the program? Uh, I got to hang out with one of my good friends, uh, Nick Gordon. I got to see him and hang out there with him a little bit, which was actually really cool. How, how did you guys get to know each other? Uh, we played against each other growing up. Uh, I was on Marucci. I think it was on like FTB, like Chandler or something. Like at all the perfect game tournaments and things like that, and, and just got to know him through that. Mm. How much do you guys keep in touch during the season? Because you guys are both AL Central guys now. There's a chance you'll be seeing each other maybe even this year now that you're both 40-man guys. Right. Uh, we, we haven't really kept up too much during the season. Like he does his thing. I kind of didn't mind. Uh, we kind of like rekindled that connection when we got to uh, when I got to AAA and uh, we ended up playing against him, and that's that's kind of where we got back on track. Like, and hey, man, he hadn't seen you in a while. Mm. All right, well, Bobby, we'll end with you on this one. Uh, one of my favorite things I always like to ask people, especially who have elite tools like you do in the power department, is when you knew you were really good at that skill. Uh, so at what point was it, whether it's little league ball, tra travel ball, even maybe the minor leagues, I don't know, uh, when you knew that your power could get you, you know, into pro ball and on the, the doorstep of the major leagues, how far back did you know your power was that good? Um, I would probably say like sophomore year of high school. Let's say that's when I was, I would be like, okay, I got it shot at this <laughs> what was there a specific moment was there like a home run you hit into the trees or something like that i mean how did that what happened in sophomore year to make you think that uh, i just like 
because I never we never really kept up with stats in high school. But then like we'd look online like at the end of the year and they'd accumulate, and I had hit like I want to say like eleven home runs or something, and was just like leading like the whole like south of the state. I was like, okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> like I might might can keep going with this. That is pretty awesome. Bobby Bradley's the seventh-ranked prospect in Cleveland system. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at B underscore Bradley underscore 44. And, Bobby, uh, enjoy the rest of the time getting set for uh, the start of Cactus League stuff, and we appreciate the time, man. We'll be watching this year. Awesome. Thank you for the invite. Benjamin Hill joins us this week for the first edition of uh, toward the end of last season or the end of last calendar year. We have the Ben's best of columns, which ran through uh, some of Ben's favorite things in the minor leagues. And this is kind of a, a similar thing, but different. Hello, Ben. <laughs> first, your first story that we're going to discuss this week. Hello. Uh, hello, Tyler. And hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my left in, uh, in conference room 5V. 5V, yes. V as, today. As Ben said earlier when I told him we were in 5V, he said V as in boy, which yeah. is not even a word. But <laughs> the message got across because he did find me without trouble this week. So yeah. that's good. V as in boy. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know, the start of voyage. I mean, come on, come on yeah. obviously, yeah. very easy. Yeah. Um, well, uh, toward the end of last uh, last year, as we got into the off season, as uh, as I mentioned, Ben ran through favorite ballpark characters and stadiums and stadium views and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this is kind of a cool column that you got um, coming out this week, which is uh, a similar rundown of some things in the minor leagues that stand out as unique, but this is a unique premise in itself. Minor league stalwarts is kind of how you're going with it. <laughs> Tell us about what the, uh, that's how Ben, or how Sam described it in the email. Tell us about what we were talking about uh, before we started recording. There's actually a lot of like wrinkles in this that kind of make it difficult to categorize some of these things, but tell us about this column. Yeah, this is going to be a story for the nerds, as I was saying. And of course I'm, I am one of them. Um, you know, it's similar to the best of stories I did, and then it's a level by level story. But beyond that, uh, you know, it's not my opinion. This is uh, just the facts. But what this is is, I was just thinking about how, in the off season, especially in, in the fall all the news is about change, and minor league baseball is a landscape of change. And we talk about change pretty much every week on this podcast, mm-hmm. and and for good reason. You know, the affiliation shuffle, uh, all the new rebrandings, new logos, uh, three new stadiums in 2019, as many as four in 2020. So that's where our minds are, that's where the news is. And I was thinking to myself, okay, but what teams have had the least change? And uh, you can go down a huge rabbit hole with this question. And I've done, you know, stories in the past about, you know, longest running team names or longest running affiliations. Uh, I kind of decided to combine it all into one story, minor league stalwarts, a level by level look at the teams at each level that have gone the longest without changing their name, affiliation or stadium. So that is the premise where we keep talking about change. What are the teams that have kept everything the same for the longest? And uh, yeah, I've gone to some down some uh, internet yeah. rabbit holes trying to suss all this out. But I do it for you. I do it for love, and I, I do it for my love of anyone who might uh, read it, as well as the necessity of uh, creating a fe- uh, writing a feature, uh, at least one a week. And you know, sometimes this time of year, you don't have stories jumping out at you no. necessarily. Um, but that is changing, and I've got a lot of good ideas coming down the pike. Don't don't fret. But minor league stalwarts. Yeah, let's let's start at the top then. And by the top, I, I kind of actually mean the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said you're going level by level for this. But out of all the minor league teams you looked into, 
what is the Myers biggest stalwart? Who has been around the longest without, like you said, a new stadium, a new team name, a new major league affiliate? Uh, a lot of that kind of spindles things down because you're taking out expansion teams in the 90s. Um, you know, even some leagues got changed. Uh, so how did, what was the one team that's been around the longest without any change? Well, when I started writing this story, and I even started writing a write-up of this team in the story before I uh, had – I thought it was going to be the Pawtucket Red Sox, um, you know, at McCoy Stadium since 1973, AAA International League affiliate of the Boston Red Sox since 1973. But them doing further research, they changed their name to the Rhode Island Red Sox for one season in 1976. So you have to start with 1977 to where everything becomes completely consistent with Therefore, Did you cover a reason as to why just a one season name change there? I did not, and I don't know why they did that at that time. That's uh, interesting. Any Pawtucket front office members, Pawtucket historians, um, Rhode Island historians, uh, please let us know why the team spent one season in 1976 as the Rhode Island Red Sox. But that forced me to switch the uh, Pawtucket from 73 to 77 based on that name change. So the number one minor league stalwart in all minor league baseball, same ballpark name and affiliation for the longest uninterrupted period of time is the Elizabethan Twins, 1974. Happy League. Happy League. And right behind them, 1975, the Johnson City Cardinals. So you got the two biggest uh, in the Happy League there. Uh, for sure. And um, I, I've come upon a lot of uh, random facts in writing the story. I'll try to incorporate as many as I can, sort of tweet out other things. You know how it is when you research these kind of stories. You find incidental things all over the place, like San Jose for um, Class A Advanced, uh, San Jose Giants playing a municipal stadium since 1988. The team that preceded the San Jose Giants in San Jose were the San Jose Bees. And they were part of that phenomenon that doesn't exist anymore of an independent team playing in an otherwise affiliated league. So the San Jose uh, Bees right. were an independent team, but they played in the California League. And uh, for one year, they served as a refuge for the, uh, like five or six different uh, former major league players who had essentially been blacklisted from Major League Baseball for drug, uh, excessive drug and alcohol use. So you had this independent team in the California League Weird. with like Steve Howe and company um, playing there independently. And How did they do? Did they sweep things? Or? I don't know. I need to I – I, I was actually just doing that before we went up to, to look at the pod, to record the podcast. Uh, I found a San, uh, Sports Illustrated article about the San Jose Bees, which in internet fashion called them – the weirdest team ever. And I don't know if that, but I, you know, I need to look more into it, but can you imagine that happening in the year 2019, the California league having all affiliated teams and then one that just made up of a bunch of veteran guys who got in trouble elsewhere. I mean, if Bryce Harper and Manny Machado don't find a team, I don't think that's a bad idea to see what they could do in the Cal league for a year. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same premise of the, uh, you know, the battered bastards of baseball, the Netflix documentary mm. was uh, in yeah. the Northwest league, the a team in Portland uh, made up an independent team in an otherwise affiliated league. I find these things fascinating. This is neither here nor there with the minor league stalwarts idea, but it's just to say that anytime you do a story like this, you open up a whole can of worms. I think that people who enjoy baseball history will like this. I'm trying to get all the facts, right? I'm sure I will hear from anyone if I get anything wrong or anything needs to be tweaked. I'm sure a lot of people, because this is the internet won't uh, take the time to understand the premise and then uh, make completely irrelevant commentary, but that's okay. That's okay. And I got Sam Dykstra here sitting next to me, still obsessed with the mystery of the Rhode Island Red Sox. Yeah. 
I'm trying to figure out why they were uh, the Rhode Island. It's Red wicked Sox. weird, Sam. Well, they went bankrupt after being called the Rhode Island Red Sox. So it, there's ah, one reason why they choice. did not continue that name. And then Ben Mondor, who owned the team for a very long time, bought them the next year yeah, and so. returned the name to Pawtucket. So we know why it went back to Pawtucket. Um, the only thing I can think of is around that same time, there was kind of a movement in New England, you know, with the New England, the Boston Patriots becoming the New England Patriots. Um, kind of expanding things out a little bit. For example, for one year, the New England Patriots were known as the Bay State Patriots. And the reason why they are, weren't called that was because after one year, everybody realized that they became the BS Patriots, and that was not great. So <laughs> uh, maybe this was part of that movement and trying to incorporate entire states and you know the entire region instead of sticking to one place. But obviously didn't last long in either case. Yeah, but it's a fun story. So it many, story. so no. many different things. You know, like in Double A, the Bowie Bay Sox uh, started in 1994. Same stadium, team name affiliation. It would have been 1993, but the um, the stadium there was a delay in construction, so they spent the '93 season at Memorial Stadium, a former Major League Stadium mm. in Baltimore. No way. Uh, you know, because uh, the Orioles had just moved to Camden Yards, so the '93 season, the fir- you are you have a Double A team playing in a Major League facility while they're waiting for their uh, facility to, to be built. So we could go on and on. We won't, but man, your dude, story will. <laughs> to the extent, I'll try to keep it tight. <laughs> keep it tight for the uh, internet attention spans. But uh, of course, I'm happy to talk further on social media, particularly Twitter. Send me an email. Uh, of course, I like having fun with these stories, and I'd like to think that you, whoever you may be, uh, might enjoy them as well. So here's 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 to hope. Uh, all right, Ben. We'll... Good slogan. Yeah, it's my new 2019 slogan. Here's, <laughs> here's to hope. Well, speaking of things that uh, are happening in 2019, you always do this story on the blog of, you know, looking at promos that are going to come out. Some have started to kind of get out there a little bit, um, but you always look back at what are the anniversaries this year in pop culture. Um, so 2019, we're looking at 50 years ago, you know, it was 1969, obviously Woodstock, which you include in here, um, you know, looking at 40th or 25th anniversary, stuff like that. Uh, what stood out to you as potential promos, at least in terms of, you know, golden, silver anniversaries, uh, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, as you know, when we look at promo schedules and they're just beginning to be released, at the time I wrote this blog post, I had seen one, Potomac Nationals, and I think this has happened in years past. The Potomac Nationals always release their promo schedule early, and then I'm like, oh man, I better write that anniversary post before uh, other teams release. Uh, but Daytona and Buffalo have since released their schedules. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot, and we'll talk about it in, in future episodes. Um, so, you know, Potomac already had a few on their calendar that made me think, well, it's, it's going to be happening, a Woodstock promotion, a uh, Indiana Jones promotion. You could do the 30th of Last Crusade. They did uh, 35th of Temple of Doom. I can only assume there has to be some getting chased by a boulder between any contest kind of thing. Um, so there's a uh, there's a lot that we're going to see this year uh, repeated all over the country, I can imagine. some In some cases, I was guessing, you know, like we saw Sgt. Pepper's jersey. Uh, in 2017 for the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper's. Uh, 69 uh, is Abbey Road. So I think it's potential. We can mm. see some Beatles promos, but this time based around uh, Abbey Road. Um, you know, moving more recently, 1994, uh, we have, you know, Sam's favorite movie of all time, I believe. It's definitely in the top three. Yeah. I, I'm constantly shifting around. I'm, of course, talking about Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> yes. <laughs> movie I recall quite fondly from being four years old. Well, Ace Ventura is having a 25th anniversary. I think we'll see that celebrated. Of course, Sam's favorite movie, I was referring to Forrest Gump. Yes. And I think it's a 
you know, we already saw teams do Forrest Gump through the years. I know you sport your Montgomery uh, the green uh, Greenbow biscuit. Biscuits hat from last year, but yeah. I think we'll see more Forrest Gump. Pulp Fiction, not really family friendly, but I could see maybe a Thirsty Thursday time with that or a dance know, contest. A dance contest. Sort. I can see, you know, elements of it working. Obviously, other elements not working whatsoever. <laughs> um, Royale with cheeses. Yeah. There, there are things you can do. And that yeah, would... anything about Fresno. I mean, coming to America is not necessarily as violent or you know, risque in the language is Pulp Fiction, but I think uh, Fresno Grizzlies last year with Coming to America showed you can take an R-rated movie and, you know, have and really have fun with it at the ballpark. Um, you know, Star Wars, of course, there's going to be Star Wars promotions, but what is the, the 20th anniversary in 2019? Oh, Phantom Menace. Ugh, which is fine, I guess. years, holy cow. Yeah, but woof. A, for that, it's amazing that that was 20 years ago. And B, if that's the movie we're going to be celebrating on Star Wars nights this year. My guess is a lot of teams, because I do Star Wars night every year, might not feel the need to tie it into Phantom Menace. Uh, in my blog post, I mentioned that the Altoona Curve um, are so far the only team to wear Jar Jar Binks jerseys. So I don't know if they'll bring those back for the 20th anniversary. Oh, somebody's of, going to if it's uh, not going to be them bringing it back. I'm yeah, so we might see some Jar Jar. If you want to do pod racing contests. Totally in on that. Or something like pod – Tyler, you might remember this. The pod racing video game for N64. Yeah, actually, I do kind of remember that now. Yeah, and how much more popular I feel like that was than the movie. Everybody the loves movie that itself. video game. Not everybody loves Pod racing movie. was cool. Yeah, so there was that thing in – was it Kansas City where they were playing Mario Kart on the big board? Yeah. There's an idea. Like having an in-between inning contest where you play pod racing on the big board and you're – you know, in your stadium. I think that would be pretty neat. Celebrate Phantom Menace that way. Anyways, go on. Yeah, yeah. So I also, just to jump in, I feel like there's not generally, and this is, there's been like kind of a a larger discussion of this on a societal level lately, but I feel like we see all these promos for like TV shows, movies, albums, random celebrity stuff. There's very rarely video game promotions. Have you noticed that? Like, it's not, there's not often times like, a, here's a Super Mario Brothers night or here's a Sonic the Hedgehog night. I don't know why that is, especially because, like, we're a video game generation that grew up. It kind of yeah, surprises a, me. That's a good point. Yeah, you know, I think we've seen some, you know, definitely a fair amount of video game promotions through the years, but they're often more, like, not anniversary themed and maybe less a certain game. Yeah. And more just kind of like salute to, like, kind of a throwback night 80s and it's like 80s video games. I mean, we did see some Fortnite nights last year just capitalizing on a current pop culture phenomenon yeah, right. but you're right like um you know we didn't see like a 30th anniversary of super mario promotion or whatever the case may be um so i think that i don't know why that is i think that's something to consider it's a category i haven't even you know researched when doing these kind of blog posts you know i just stay mostly with uh movies and uh tv and music um you know along that line 89 30th year for Seinfeld, Simpsons, Baywatch, Saved by the Bell. These are all promo, you know, pretty friendly uh, entities for minor league promotions. So I think we'll see a lot of that. Weekend at Bernie's turns 30. I, I want to see something with Weekend at Bernie's. Or at least have like Bernie compete, have to be like on someone's team and between inning contests and you have to like carry around this dead guy throughout the ballpark or something. Family friendly um, to hang out with a corpse all evening. Or you're not allowed to move for an inning, something like that. You you pick a random fan, they're not allowed to move. And if that's true, they get free tickets to a future game, something like that. Yeah, Bernie cams. You Bernie know? cams, there it is. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the idea. 
That's pretty good. The burn it. This definitely uh, every year when we have this discussion, it makes me realize how long ago certain things happened that make me feel super old. Um, but yeah, did not count on it being the uh, the first prequel, the uh, <laughs> the Jar Jar Binks one of Star Wars to be twenty years old to make me think what. How did that happen? I mean, for me, it's more that Hey Arnold is 25 years old. Yeah, that too. Hey Arnold debuting in 1994. I don't think I would have guessed that at all. No, that's Ugh. that's rough. Goodness gracious. You know, that's just, that's just the way it goes. You know, with each passing moment, we're one step closer to death, and we need to celebrate the things that occurred previously in our lives to make us feel alive as we once were. Here's to hope. <laughs> Jesus. As the slogan earlier in this segment went. Uh, Benjamin Hill's on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. What else is coming up? Uh, those are the main things right now. Um, uh, I've got a few, I'm, I'm kind of not reviving the blog, but I took a lot of little hiatus, not necessarily prioritizing as much, but I've got some blog posts coming up. Uh, I think we can talk about next week. Um, uh, some decent story ideas too, as, as we hit promo release season and just talking about uh, a lot of the promos that are going to be released. Cause we're actually going to be seeing uh, promo releases, uh, you know, coming fast and furious in the coming weeks and months. So there's a, there's a lot going on. And, um, I have a question real quick cause I was listening to last week's podcast, um, yesterday, yesterday night, and you guys were talking about steamer. Um, and I just wanted to know if you ever tied in steamer with the Altoona mascot, uh, steam. No, that's but oddly enough, when you said we were talking about Steamer, the first thought that went into my head was, were we talking about the Altoona mascot last <laughs> Right, right. So I'm going to make a request in, in future episodes when you're talking about Steamer, if you can, like, pray, uh, in right before that segment to play the Altoona Curve song, Here Comes Steamer. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Any Steamer projections from yeah, now Yeah, and be like, Here Comes we'll Steamer. Be, yeah, like. Okay. That's my. If, okay. if anyone else, you know, tweet at me at Ben's Biz. Just hashtag Here Comes Steamer, and we can see if uh, enough people want this. It's just something I thought. I think you know, you guys had a great discussion. I enjoyed listening to it, but just a little tweak I, I thought of. Yeah, that's it's more going to affect Tyler as the producer of this podcast and the person who had to live with that theme song and live with Steamer and live with Steamer yeah. himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as long as we don't have to do the Everybody Loves Curve Baseball song, then, uh, <laughs> that's that's a win for me. Uh, among the canon of minor league baseball music and it's a it's a front runner uh benjamin hill like i said ben's biz on twitter and the blog bensbiz.mlblogs.com and uh send us all of your your future requests for minor league mascot theme song for us to include in random segments we'll see we'll see what we can do thanks ben thank you guys you're always so amenable Finishing up the 192nd episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Thanks to Bobby Bradley again for uh, joining us a little bit earlier from Goodyear. Bobby will get set to go for spring training in about six weeks, and we will be doing the same in about seven or eight, something like that. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, we're about done. Oh, <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah, we don't we don't have a player to call in now and save us from a bad exit, huh? That's true. That's true. You got a good enough intro, the exit's not going to be any better. No. That's uh, <laughs> Oh, man. And on that note, he's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.